Welcome to A Canadian Investing in the U.S., a podcast and YouTube channel focused on Canadians buying real estate with host Glenn Sutherland. Welcome to another episode of Canadian Investing in the U.S. This week, my guest is Darcy White. Darcy, we've been working on getting you on here a few times, but we finally did it. Um, Nice to be here. We'll give you an intro and then we'll give you an intro to our other show. And then we'll get into the podcast. So let's, okay. let's do an intro to you first. You want to tell, me to tell you who I am? Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm a 58-year-old guy on the West <laughs> Coast. I lead with my age. So people can think <laughs> um, that I'm remarkable in looks. Uh, but I, I'm crazy passionate <laughs> about real estate investing. I got into this business from teaching school out in uh, Scarborough. as a primary school teacher in Scarborough coaching and teaching grade threes and grade six basketball. Um, loved that work, but I just wanted more. I had uh, bigger goals, bigger dreams. I got into the business managing my father-in-law's uh, small portfolio of commercial properties, a couple strip malls, an office park and a single apartment building. Um, he was in poor health, uh, you know, had the misfortune of getting old and getting sick and needed someone to help. So. It's green as grass. I did my BC real estate uh, property management course while I was teaching and showed up uh, August 1st, 20, uh, 2000 and started working for him. Started with the uh, books and viewed the properties and then had to learn everything I could about property management and, and small business entrepreneurship. So that's where I started. Yeah. Instead of formed a couple companies and we concentrate on mostly residential apartment buildings, substantially broken, damaged uh, Canadian apartment buildings. We fix them up, we make them safe, habitable, clean, efficient, attractive, and then profitable. And profitable is always sort of the last step, of course. But that's what we do now. And uh, I think we have uh, 19 buildings. So that represents yeah. about 600 tenants uh, across four provinces. Amazing. Yeah. And for, well, no one will know this probably, but Darcy and Ari and I, we do like a weekly um, well, it was for a long time, it was just a weekly mastermind, right? It was, yeah. we were, we just, we, we'd sit there and we'd talk about our properties, what was going on in our businesses. And we, you know, we're all kind of doing different things. Um, yeah. but, but it was a great, like, I've learned so much from, from doing that group. And after, I don't know how long we were doing it. Eventually I'm just like, we should record this. We, we should, yeah. we should start recording these these meetings, because we were talking, uh, we were evaluating multifamily deals, we were going through all kinds of different, whatever was on our mind. And um, so I guess 10 weeks ago, I just looked at the, the list beforehand, so 10 weeks ago, we started recording it as uh, a podcast for the you know first 15 minutes of our meetings, and then we'd actually have a meeting afterwards. Um, yeah. Because you have, it always has a different dynamic when you're doing um, a meeting. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, there's just, there just lots of sparks. I mean, I would leave the meeting thinking, well, I never thought of that. I wonder why he's doing that. And I go straight into the house and talk to my wife. We go, okay. And she goes, which guy is that? Which guy's, which guy's Glenn? Which guy's Ari? Okay. <laughs> okay, Ari's the French guy. And Glenn's like, where's Glenn from? I said, yeah. Go. Talk about what we talked about. And then I start thinking about it and then start working in my journal. So, it's good. I totally recommend it. Find two other people that uh, inspire you and then just yep. bang your ideas off of each other. It works. Yep. And then we, so we started recording this. We have 10 episodes recorded. Um, we have, I think, three or four out right now, but I'm just saying episode isn't going to air for like a month and a half anyway. So by then we'll probably have like seven or eight 
maybe nine out. We put them out, we're gonna put them out once a week. But if you guys are interested, the, some of the topics we've covered on the other one, cause it's a different kind of show than mine. Um, like we talked about banking for like syndications uh, and for what I use for banking in the States. Uh, we've talked about partnerships. We've talked about uh, setting up syndications, uh, underwriting for um, multifamily deals and uh, productivity hacks was our last one we were doing. Uh, just some stuff we do to get more efficient with all this cause it's a lot of work. And anyway, if you're interested in that kind of stuff, uh, more multifamily sort of talk, um, the show is called Advanced Real Estate Investing Talk. Um, it is out on all platforms, and that's one of the reasons we held off telling people about it for a long time because iTunes was a nightmare to get approved for. <laughs> <laughs> but it finally went through, so um, we're going to tell people about it now. So there is a podcast out there. I'll flash the logo up on the screen, um, and you get you get a different side of me because usually in this show I'm interviewing. And uh, I'm not talking about my deals and I'm not talking about my personal stuff, which is more what comes out on that when you're having a back and forth interview, like we're all working together. There's like Ari really does the intro and exit, but we all are sort of doing the show together. So it's a little bit, it's a little bit different, more like a talk show, but we aren't trying to hide anything. (laughs) Sorry. It's a bit of a free for all moments, but there's rich stuff in there that we can mine uh, for uh, many episodes because we're just covering so much. I sometimes feel a little bit bad for people if we touch on something that's so important. You go, we should come back to that next yeah. week because deep diving. That's, yeah. good, that's good stuff. But, oh well, yeah. you really pull the curtain back on what everybody's doing. That's uh, and I think it's it's really honest. Uh, nobody's trying to sell anything. Nobody's there's nothing for sale. Nothing Do you have a book? Sale. I don't have a book. I don't have a T-shirt yeah. or a yeah. key fob with my name or logo on it. It's just telling people straight up, this is what we're doing. This is how hard it is. This is what's working. This is not working. So you're here where we failed. And yep. you're where we succeed. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe some horrible tenant stories. I want to put those in. Uh, <laughs> but challenges of insurance. Uh, I think that's come up in a couple of weeks. Uh, yeah. Insuring your, your stuff, which is hugely difficult right now. Yep. Yeah, I think it's worthwhile stuff. I'm telling my friends about it now. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, now we have everyone else on it and I got Darcy on here and um, since I have Darcy, I'm going to deep dive his brain and get it out. What okay. I was thinking, this is what I was thinking for the show. Let's okay. talk about uh, doing um, like a multifamily building. We can do it as a syndication or we can just do it. At, we can leave out the syndication part of it because um, I think we might run out of time if we do that. Um, okay. But I'm thinking we just do um, just sort of like high level, like, you see this property now what like we're running the evaluation let's go through all the different um inspections we're gonna do um let's go through like basically what the steps are to get that multifamily from hey i got sent it to me from a broker to i'm closing this property just sort of the steps through that we went through what we what checks we did and you know some stuff like that okay cool all right i'm good for that all right do it like every week I know five or six a week (laughs) and we've also done this on our show I think we ripped through a deal on the show I think we we were going through when we were doing the syndication episode we went through and well maybe I was more on this maybe on the syndication side rather than the property side let's do a a property side that way if people are interested in doing it uh for themselves they're just gonna you know go buy a multifamily all by themselves they can do it or if they're gonna do uh it as a syndication they can take the extra couple steps to to add those parts in or then go listen to the other show combine the two episodes 
and then they've got the whole picture. Yep, and then buy the t-shirt, which <laughs> will be available on Amazon. Yeah. Uh, take nine weeks for delivery. Yeah, yeah. sixty-nine ninety-nine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the hardcover book for free. Yeah, seventy-dollar t-shirt, free book. So Darcy, you yeah. get you get sent this deal from a broker, and okay. you got some rough stuff. What kind of things are you going to demand that you need to see? Let's we'll start with that. Okay, I'll start even a tiny bit further back. Oh yeah, let's do it. I probably get 20 to 30 a, a week coming mm -hmm. to my inbox from brokers that I know, that know I'm looking. And I maintain a relationship with them. I keep them on life support because deal flow is huge. If they don't think you're buying, they're not sending you anything because they got to eat too. Why waste their time? So you want to stay on those subscription lists, uh, even if it fills your inbox, uh, you got it. And you got to give them feedback. Say, yeah, this is not us. This is out of our, our zone or our relationship. So, you, so that you got to keep the deal flow going so that you can look at a lot of deals. And even if you say no 20 times, it's worth saying no 20 times to, to find one. You talk about kissing a frog. You kiss a lot of frogs until you find a prince or princess. We're gender inclusive here. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, so that's first thing, looking at deal flow. And then before we jump on anything, um, we do a couple, a real quick inventory. I've become more mindful of this. Do we have the physical, emotional, and kind of spiritual um, energy for this? Like you think you have a pot of money. Money is probably not your biggest problem once you're rolling. You know, if you start with getting success, money will come to success, but you can't replicate time and energy and strength unless you can add people. And that's hard. Um, and if you're in the middle of uh, two or three turnarounds at the same time, there are 20 or 30 suites. That's taking a toll on you, physical toll and an emotional toll, all the setbacks, the heating that doesn't work, the this, the complaints, the people that, you know, that um, you improve their suites and everything about them and they still give you the vacancy notice. And you're like, what? I've only done good for you and you're leaving? I need you right now. Um, that takes a toll, at least it does for me. I'm a so does this guy. change? Like, so say you don't have anything on the go, you might be more willing to take on a one that's full reno for everything. And if you already have some that are under reno, maybe you might be one. Yeah. Let's get one that's half reno or in reasonable yeah. shape that we can just yeah. let it. Okay. Yeah. And we, you know, the dream is the turnkey that you find something that you don't have to do anything, but that's like a white unicorn uh, with rainbows coming out of its butt. Those are you know, well, those are the stuff of legend. <laughs> they're probably for sale, but the numbers probably don't work. Exactly. And yeah, we have to be <laughs> close to us. So that's the, the physical, the emotional, and then the spiritual. Is this in our realm? Is this what we do? Like I could chase concrete, beautiful, triple A class towers if I had $60 million. I don't. You know, I'm dealing with buildings that cost two to four million dollars, and I'm raising about a million and a half each lift. I don't have a network that's going to put together 15 million to buy a $60 million building. Those have their own problems, but I don't know. Them. So I'm not chasing those. Um, so, so we you, just to cut on, cut you off there. So you, yeah. you said you're raising a certain amount and your uh, the properties were some, is there a certain percentage? Is it like you're trying to raise half the money, 60%? Like what's is yeah. it a certain okay. number? So then we're taking like, that image. We got physical, emotional health thing. And I'm yeah. like, what? You know, I'm, while I'm keeping the deal flow going with realtors and looking at stuff and people we, in areas we want, I'm also keeping my investors happy and telling them there's stuff coming because so they want to, they feel like anyone else with money in their pocket, they want to spend. And I'm worried that they're going to spend on something terrible or get locked into a boat. I mean, I'm not <laughs> against boats, but that's like our, you know, our trope for blowing your money. Um, or, you know, something like that, that they'll get impatient, they'll put it into something substandard or just, you know, spend it on lifestyle. 
um, they come to me with a good idea. And often you only have like, we have 200,000 or 100,000 or half a million and we want to put it into real estate and we made it from this. So I'm keeping that conversation percolating all the time. And they go, well, how long? I said, well, it's going to be 90 to 120 days. So that's kind of our cycle. We've been buying about three, two to three a year. So that's every three to four months we're buying another building. And even through COVID, we bought a 40 something plus sweet building in the middle of COVID. Got a great deal. It had some vacancies, um, but we're sorting that out. We're down to four vacancies now. We had a, when we took it over, we had 17 out of 40. So it was leaking like crazy. That yeah. It's, so with that is, because is, I know if you were buying it based on, you know, those numbers, you probably could get a better deal. So is it, I guess it's also what flavor of the month or of the year you're in right at the time. But, you know, uh, is there an, a desirable vacancy rate that you're ideally looking for? Or is like, would you buy a vacant, completely vacant building? Could if you could do all money, but the bank won't finance you with a vacant building and the insurance company won't either insure it. They need people in there. And if you hit a vacancy rate that's higher than, you know, we've heard around 14, 15%, the insurance company won't insure it. There's not enough eyes on the building. Uh, they just think the vacant building is attracting uh, vagrants or bad people or people smash windows, their assets not secured. They need good people living in the building with the lights on to get insurance. The bank won't finance it, uh, something like that vacant. It shows no, it's like a ship at sea dead stopped. There's no income coming in. There's like, no, we'll pass. So that property you were just talking about, does it, was it, were you able to get insurance for that then? We were able to get insurance, which is really brutally hard. Uh, five years ago, insurance for a 40 suite building would have cost us somewhere around $7,000. Now it costs us 38,000. Whoa. Five times higher. Whoa. Property and so doing your pro forma, now. like if you had a property and you bought it at, you know, and so if you already had, is that just for a new insurance or like on renewals every year, is it jumping that much? It's, it's a bit spotty, but on renewals. If, so if you buy it, the insurance company gets another chance to take a crack at that building. So you might get by with renewals with an incremental change, but we're buying fresh, they get fresh eyes on it. They take it up to market and the insurance company's been hammered. We should talk about insurance on another podcast. Yeah, They've been hammered for four years. They're not making money, they claim. There's <laughs> been a coalition of insurers. There used to be a broad base of them and then an even broader peak. Now you're down to about half a dozen in gross insurers in the world and they're taking huge losses. You know, really? I, I was under the impression that they make down. more money than banks. That's what I thought, but they tell me no. So I'm out there. If there's a better insurer out there that can do better for us, you know, phone me. Um, we're looking. Okay. Uh, it's tough. Okay. So uh, where do we leave off? Uh, you're looking at a building. Yep. And, uh, does this fit our profile? Um, on the physical end of things, I almost, uh, we have a little grid why we like certain communities. And then I want to walk the community itself. So if I'm looking at the building, We'll put an offer in and get a look at the financials and do the due diligence part and get to a number that we think makes sense. And we've got a grid for that. And we gross up the numbers because there are always lies. There's lies, there's damn lies, there's statistics, and then there's real estate performance on the continuum of lying. And real estate performers are notoriously slipshod. They, they don't tell anywhere near what the truth is. I know what it really costs to run a building. So we put those numbers back in. And what that ends up doing is it always compresses the cap rate. We think we're buying it at 5.7 and in reality, now it looks like a 4.2. So you go, ooh, that hurts, okay. Um, because you actually have to have a fire safety plan. You have to fix batteries and lights, that doesn't show up. You have to have alarm monitoring. Uh, we put cameras in buildings. Uh, we know our managers need a cell phone. We need some sort of real advertising, even if the vacancy rate's 
you need advertising. So once you put those loads back in, the cap rate gets compressed again. But uh, we are looking for buildings with opportunities. Where's our leverage? Is there lots of vacancies? An acceptable amount of vacancies that we can hold the property, improve suites and reposition, and then you're toggling between vacancies and improving suites and raising rents and improving the whole product. Um, and that becomes the work of the next two to three years. So I walk the neighborhood. I yep. want to know what's in that neighborhood. I want to walk down the back alleys. Is Google Streets, that might work. But you, uh, you would have already run your pro formas and stuff before you walk this neighborhood, right? You're not yep. going to tour around to every property. <laughs> no, nope. but we have neighborhoods in, in your own. Right now we're looking at Edmonton. We have neighbors in Edmonton we like. We already got nine buildings there. So yep. if we can group them, so it's kind of efficient, so we're not driving all over the city, that works. But then if it's kind of new, and I wish I would have done this when we went to Saskatoon. I talked to a Saskatoon guy who grew up there, but he had been away for 15 years. And he's an awesome manager for me. He retired back to Saskatoon. I asked him to look at a building. You know, there's neighborhoods in every town that you don't want to be in. That look pretty good. And from the street, you know, he spent four hours with me. And I totally trust him. But I think I would have come back with a very different um, idea if I would have walked the streets myself. He sat in a car, you know, in a four-year-old Buick with the engine running and said, yeah, that looks pretty good. That looks pretty good. That looks pretty good. But you didn't get out and walk the street and smell it and feel it under your feet. And that's a very different experience. So if we're close, before closing, I want to walk those streets and make sure I know where the rough spots are, who's where, where the dumpsters are, where the bad guys hide where the kids go to smoke and read dirty magazines you know <laughs> i see i don't know if i would trust myself with that that task um for instance when we were in kansas city um we, we were staying in a cheap motel uh, over by the the hospital university right um mm. and uh yeah, we were telling people afterwards like, yeah we went for a tour we walked around town we walked over to the bars over there we walked over to the bars on the other side we walked through the subdivisions and we're like it didn't look that bad and they're like are you insane <laughs> yeah, I've walked around Kansas City. It's uh, there, yeah. There. People were like afterwards, were like, "Are you insane? You just walked those neighborhoods? Mm -hmm. It looked fine. You're like, it just looked like downtown Kitchener. This looked like old houses. They're like, yeah, the some people that are in some of these. Oh, okay. Oh. I was yeah, I was fine, but like I, I didn't even feel unsafe. I was oh. <laughs> maybe I'm naive, or maybe I was. Well, I didn't see a lot of people. Mostly everyone was inside, but. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm a little trusting. Maybe. So I don't know if I would, but I do. I like the idea. I would want to walk the neighborhood too, right? That's something I, I would either do, or I would uh, get someone local who is a, a, knows this neighborhood and yeah. knows what kind of clientele and knows the type of people that are going to likely live in there and what's going on in that building already. Well, one of our buildings, I sat part, we, it took almost two years to buy it to convince them to sell it to us for what we wanted it for. And I parked outside of it every time and talked to the tenants. And I had tenants come to my window and go, are you looking for someone? Because it did look a bit shady. Just a shiny black rental car at 10 o'clock at night counting windows. How many windows are lighted? And comparing it to the rent roll to see if Ooh. there's actually people in there. And uh, this uh, woman, Cecilia, who later became my tenant, comes out the car and says, Susie, like early 30s maybe? Yeah. So, you know, y'all looking for someone? And I said, uh, no, I'm just, uh, just working at 10, 15 at night in the dark. And uh, she's skeptical. I think she's probably pretty courageous. She says, what do you want with this place? And I said, oh, you know, she said, you looking to buy it? Because I heard it for sale. And I'm like, okay, well, maybe she should. And then she tells me, you shouldn't. Don't buy it. This place is, and she just runs it down. This place is awful. The owners are terrible. 
and you know there's good and bad and all that but i'm listening um well it's the best stuff what it all down okay. uh, she paid my tenant and i evicted her three months later <laughs> well she's gonna be rent. double side of the coin got some good yeah. information possibly though that's it good thanks cecilia and you have to go uh still got a payment uh we addressed all the things that she she was not wrong the doors weren't locked. There's no um, astragals or or uh, covers on the on the doors that overlap. So with a you know a tiny pen knife, you could open the front doors. And half the time they weren't even locked. There's no uh, intercoms. There's no exterior lighting. The paint parking lot wasn't painted, so people were parking anywhere they wanted. They were too close, crooked, sideways, easy stuff that you can manage, but it just made people crazy. So we bought that building, uh, and we are selling it in a month. For four times what we paid for it. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. So we fixed all those things, Cecilia, and we brought value to it. It's safe, comfortable. Um, the drug dealing and all the other gang banging that was in the building, that's all gone. We cleaned that out in 2014, and it's been nothing but good from there. But she was right. Everything she told me was wrong with that building, was wrong with that building, and none of it showed up in the pro forma. You know, so that guy, there's no kind of intel like someone actually just running your mouth. So I love to let people run their mouth. <laughs> okay, we'll go back to this. We'll keep, we'll get us back. You're just like me. So like when you listen to our show, the, the two of us are the ones that just ride off of this and Ari pulls us back in. Remember guys what we're talking about? But <laughs> me and you just go. But um, so we're, we're buying this building. We decided it met uh, our, you know, what we're looking for at the time based on, you know, vacancy rates, based on what was, you know, what, whatever, how much renovation was going to be. We were comfortable with that. We ran our pro forma. Uh, we got uh, rent rolls. What other stuff did you want? And we got, went through all that. We did our due diligence. We looked at their numbers, at least two years of it. Yeah. And I would go through it. I scrape through it. I'm looking for who their contractors are. Do I know these people? And if I don't, what are they charging? And what kind of work are they doing? And are there warranties on that work? And how much work have they done? How much new brass and copper is in that boiler room? Who's done the work and warranty work on the roof? Any windows, any capital? How much are they leaking on maintenance? And what kind of work are they doing? What if I start opening the backside of every bathroom, what am I gonna find? So I'm looking for that kind of stuff. And then we put our numbers into there. And then the bank will require uh, usually a building condition report. That's gonna run you $3,000. And you're gonna have to take that off before, that will be a subject, it is for us, Subject to a clean uh, BCR, building condition report, because the bank's going to require that. Subject to appraisal. Appraisal is going to cost you around $3,000 as well. Subject to a phase one environmental survey. If you're, you know, for people who are buying houses, this generally doesn't show up. But once you buy a commercial residential property, the first level of that is uh, an audit done by a licensed um, environmental agency. And the first level of that is they just take every piece of documentation they can find on it, historic photos. They'll find um, hobbyist air photos of Edmonton in 1952 that shows your property. They'll outline it and they'll take a magnifying glass and look at what's on that property. That looks like it's a farmer's field and they're looking for it. Was it when was it Greenfield? And what's the what's the legacy of that property? Was there ever a garage anywhere near there? A paint shop, dry cleaner, chemical treatment place, wood treatment, anything like that that can poison the soil because bank doesn't want that loyal, uh, that um, liability. So if you get a green field or they can trace the origins of your property right back to Blackfoot, um, teepees were sitting on it in Northern uh, um, uh, Alberta, then you're good, you're golden. 
but virtually every uh, urban buildup in Canada is around a gas station. There's a gas station. Anything that's built since 1920 has a gas station or a paint shop or a garage or a cartage company or a dry cleaner somewhere in there. And they document where the water flows in every community. Every drill, drilling program is added to a provincial database of some sort. And they say where the water is, how deep it was drilled and what was found. They're obliged to add to that pool of knowledge, right? So you might have reasonable certainty that you, you're fine, but we, we the sale we have in Ontario right now in the city of Windsor, it was built up around the automotive industry. And 300 meters from two of our properties were a um, small cartridge company, a garage where they did their own work, and a gas station. Gas stations and the cartridge company both closed in 1958 and 1968. So a long time ago, but was the soil ever cleaned? Did anyone root out and take those storage tanks out? Were they decommissioned? Did they leak for 40 years? Run in the groundwater towards Lake Erie and poison our soil and then put the bank at risk. So that first report is $3,000. It takes two to three weeks and it has as many pages of indemnification. And it's 3,000 whether you're buying like a 10 unit or buying a 200 unit? Yeah, you're just paying for the report. And the report's okay. done by Boulders or Amic, Foster Wheeler or any of these other guys. Um, they'll put an engineer on it. And it's it's not a quote engineer with air quotes. It's a environmental agent auditor, someone with a BSC who's trained in this and they'll do the research. Now, if, if you run into bad luck and there's something that says, hey, there used to be a garage 200 meters away upstream. We recommend a phase two. Now that is a drilling program and that is a minimum 25 to $30,000. That might be a time to bail because I never wanna know unknown unknowns. That's a bad thing to, to quote Donald Rumsfeld. There's known unknowns. I don't know this, but I'm pretty confident. But unknown unknowns, they could be super costly. You get into something like that, they drill, you spend $30,000 to find out if you have bad soil. And they say, yeah, you have bad soil. We recommend a phase three remediation program, 300,000 to a million. But you've done this all before closing, right? So you're closing. This, so this point, like if you, you got through phase one and they're like, they're, you couldn't need a phase two, you could be like, I'm out. Right then, I'm out. Or, or, or could, could you get, put, could you put it back on the seller? Maybe you pay for the phase two because it's your property. Exactly. You need to, you're going to need to sell it to anybody. You're going to need a phase two. So how about you pay for it? That's it. So that's what they did to us. They said, you pay the phase, phase one. We did the phase one for the five properties and two of them came back with a question. They said, well, we'll renegotiate this. You pay for the phase two. If it comes back clean, all right, it's good. We'll take it off. Uh, we'll put it on the purchase price. We negotiated the price. I wanted control of that document. Now we'll have a letter of uh, recognizance and we'll forward it to them on closing and it becomes their report and it's good for a year only. Think of the depreciation on a $30,000 report. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah $5,000 a month. But was that $2,500 a month, right? I, yeah. And so you're gonna have to have that, say you were selling and you're a seller that's in a situation where you need to sell, to, for you to come up with another 30,000 might be not possible. And there's probably no way to finance that unless you have some sort of line of credit, but no one's gonna give you a loan for a report. Oh, not for that. No. no. <laughs> this is kind of like a uh, big boy pants time. You know, if you've, you kind of, yeah. So if you're working off a green field and you know that you're, you could do the summons work yourself, you might have reasonable certainty or when you purchase it, you have a clean face one, you can go back to the same people and get a fresh one and make it part of your 
package. They can read it, or even the old one. You can read the old one if you require anyone to finance it. Here's the old one to give you some comfort. It's only yep. five years old. It's unlikely to have changed. Nothing's changed since then. Yeah. So, you know, there's a way to mitigate that, but you got to think those are the kind of costs. But you could, they could refuse, and you'd like the deal, and you do all these costs, appraisal, billing, condition report, and each one of those is a check down if you're spending money that may invalidate the purchase. So you could get $14,000 into a, a purchase and say no, and it's unrecoverable. And that hurts. Because I don't yeah. like losing $14,000. So then what, where does that money come from? Do you add it into another project or how well, do you, how not. do you, where does that money come from? Money has to come from somewhere. Is that just a-, a My brother, Don. <laughs> <laughs> and then we make it square later. No, okay. but I mean, it comes out of the general partners. I mean, that's some cost for us finding a property. So the work that we could, all the work we could do ourselves beforehand through uh, any, any method, um, searches, uh, library searches, searches at the, um, uh, the district level or reasonable assumptions. Listen, this was a farmer's field. We're good here. There's never been industrial buildup here, but you don't know in a city, um, a lot happens in six, in 60 years. In a city like Windsor, that's a car city. I mean, it's heavy industry. So we had to be reasonably certain they didn't, but we found in a small town, um, you know, 60 years ago that they had a cartage company with a dirt floor and they were doing oil changes for their trucks into a dirt floor. Awesome. <laughs> and it was traceable amounts of benzene that was buried on clay with gravel thrown on top of it. And the structure was built on top of it. Huh. Yeah, yeah, and you wouldn't expect that. This is a small town in the middle of the woods. How would this happen? How could you have traceable amounts of benzene, like got diesel and oil in the soil? So, I mean, that's the worst case. And those are check marks to off ramps to get out of that deal. Um, it, there's just other opportunities. And if things have a bunch of those, no thanks, unless it's amazing that you can mitigate it with just gobs of cash, but that's not realistic. And we usually take those as off ramps to get out of deals. No thanks, we're gone. Yeah. Those, those deals and move on. So what, said, other, what other inspections do you got? What, what other inspections uh, we'll you? inspect it herself. We'll do a roof inspection because the insurer is going to ask and the bank's going to ask. And they and the owners, this is amazing. Owners can know a lot of stuff about their properties. They are very vague on when the roof was replaced. If you say three years, they'll give you three years with the financials. If the roof is three years plus a day, it won't show up in the due diligence. Yeah. Roofs are really expensive. They're notoriously fussy. The quality of roof work is all over the map. Um, we get a roofer that we like and do up and do a cut test. Is there a roof on top of a roof here? Do they play, put a two-ply torch on roof over like a built-up uh, gravel and tar and gravel roof? Because that happens. Because you're going to need uh, some permission to go cut their roof though, right? Yep. And all they do is they just, they come up with a pot of tar, but they'll come, they'll cut and peel it back a couple of layers to see what you got and then fold it back over Put a um, if it's a torch on roof, they'll torch a new patch right over square, right over big square. But we asked for that. Um, we'll get talk to our plumber and boiler guy. Um, right now, insurance companies aren't looking at billings with boilers that are older than 25 years, whether it's natural gas or uh, steam or hydronic or whatever you got. If it's more than 25 years old, they're recommending replacement, even though you can still get those parts. They just like newer, better than older. Uh, so, so they're going to insist you do that near close near when you when you buy it right in the closing yep, pretty much in the first year they say we'll insure you this year we want to see a boiler replacement program and your hot water tanks can't be older than 10 years old and we want to see all new grass in here all new copper so 
I mean, that gives you some measure of security, but that's not to say a brand new boiler will never fail. We have a pair of Weissman boilers with redundancy and they're, they're worth like $40,000 a piece. And one, the motherboard just went on it when it's minus 31 in Saskatoon. It's only four years old. Uh, you mentioned a cool there. thing there, though, is they were redundant, right? So yep. they're backing each other up. So you're, yep. they if you can afford it, uh, you know, all those securities cost money. So often you have one giant boiler and you have your fingers crossed all winter. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, the parts are readily available. You have to have a great relationship with your plumber, but nothing breaks until Friday night at 530 or Saturday afternoon or Sunday afternoon to ensure that there's time and a half or double time for the plumbers and electricians. Um, part of that is just the tenants. They get home Friday night and go, hey, I've been working all week and it's cold in here. Have you noticed it's cold? Yeah, I noticed Wednesday it's cold on straight time, but now I'm gonna phone you like Friday night at double time and tell sounds you it's right. cold. Yeah, that's that how it works. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, a roof inspection, uh, we'll get our plumbing and heating guy in to look at it. I wanna know if the plumbing, yeah, I wanna know if the electrical's aluminum. So if it's built between 1968 and 1978, there's a good chance it's gonna be aluminum wiring because it was Canadian code for then you could do it. There's ways to mitigate that, but the insurance company doesn't really like it. And it is a little bit of a trick when you replace every every light switch, every every plug, play, plug every lamp, you're using uh, a treatment and a pigtail on everything. It's slow, it's expensive, and it has to be done right. So you have to trust your electrician to do it. And inspectors and insurance companies are skeptical that you did it right. So that period is a touchy time. Uh, you want to find a place with copper. Why buy a place with aluminum wiring unless it's an amazing deal and you can calculate in how, what's going to take to fix it? Because you honestly can't pull the wires out of the wall, not on a 40 unit building. That's unreasonable. So it may be a move on kind of situation. Hmm. Um, and that would be the full extent of our inspections, roof, boiler room, electrical, um, substrate. So with a phase one, uh, the due diligence, two to three years of all their bills, and then we'll turn it over to the lawyers and close this thing up. And at that point, partly during that time, I'm ramping up my conversations with our investors. So I'm saying, hey, we got something that's good. Um, and I'm starting to have coffees, breakfasts, lunches, drinks after work with my investor network. And that's about 138 people. Some of them don't want drinks and coffee and breakfast, but a few of them require a face-to-face -face sit down, tell me about the property, and they want to look you in the eye and you to tell them, this is a good deal. It's worth spending your family's money on. It's worth um, investing with us. They want to hear it from you and they want to see it from the person in charge. There's others that are breezy that say, yeah, just send it to me. And they send a check. I mean, everyone does their thing differently, but some, uh, more than half my people, they want to sit with you and hear from you exactly what's this going to look like. And they want to hear you say the words, I'm going to make this, I'm going to turn this around. It's going to be profitable. It's going to be a good deal. Yep. And I do that. And right at that point, we kind of transition into our other, the other podcast where we're talking about syndication. We talk mm -hmm. about the fees for syndication. I'll put a link in the show notes to the other podcast because that perfectly translates right into it or yeah. not translates isn't the right word, but you know, it, it goes, it flows right into the other one because it's yeah. then on the other show, we talk about uh, all the syndication setup stuff. 
Um, is this so, helpful, Glenn? Is it or is it too too breezy? Am I running over too fast or too many details? Because I'm no, I, there's I a think traffic it's jam in my head of all the things we do. Oh. <laughs> no, I think it's good. And I think there's a lot of people that it's going to, they're going to look at it and go, there is a lot more stuff. Because what a lot of the mistake people have is like, oh, I bought a bunch of uh, single families or I even bought some fourplexes and they're not the same. Like it's not the same stuff you're going through um, to, yeah. to do it. And they might be, I think it might be, it could be, unless they've read some books on commercial um, uh, residential uh, whatever this is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, real estate that they may not know that there is all these other things that they're factoring they might just think oh it's uh you know you, they just calculate uh you know their cash on cash return rather than working off the cap rate right for yeah. to, to do it right and uh, there is people to do that and then it's, they may have these buildings that are impossible to sell because the buyers you got to remember if you're buying these big commercials when you go to sell you have to sell to professional investors you're not right. selling to a homeowner that's true <laughs> so you got to buy it right <laughs> that's a, that's an awesome uh uh, uh tension though um you're you do the same amount of work for 11 suite unit in glenmore in calgary as you would for a 40 unit in cromdale in edmonton you're doing all of those same things and they cost the same amount an 11 unit, if you have one vacancy, I'm not doing the math real perfectly, but it's around 7.5% vacancy rate, one unit. If you do a 20 unit, you're down to 5%. One vacancy is only 5%. You've almost halved your vacancy rate. Um, people with calculators are calculating much better than me, but yeah. uh, getting accurate. But um, the bigger, the more suites you have, the less that those one or two vacancies, and you only got one roof. Two buildings to get to 20 suites is two roofs, two boilers, two sets of reports, Two of everything, and you got to drive between them. So twenty is much better than eleven, and forty suites is much better than twenty. I don't know, maybe it's twice as good. <laughs> I'm not sure the math on that, but it's the same amount of work. You're just actually becoming a little bit more efficient, and it can sustain an on-site manager. An eleven-unit suite building can't sustain an on-site manager. Nobody can work for four hundred dollars a month, or you're going to get four hundred dollars worth of work for four hundred dollars a month. But a 40-unit suite, you can pay someone $2,000 a month, and it's a reasonable management expense. And they can take the first hit on your calls. They can be the first person to do your leaks. They can clean. They can show your suites. It makes better sense as you scale, and you're not traveling quite as much. So, so you believe in the on-site management over hiring a company to do it? I do, and I'm a bit of a control freak. We had a couple of bad experiences with um, uh, property management. They're going to take 8.5% and a rent-up fee. And they're going to put a percentage on every contractor. So uh, I'm just sitting here waiting for something to do. So why don't, why don't I do that? Um, our model is flawed, though. Don't do what I've done. Okay. We don't really get paid. We put everything on the back end. So when I look at a guy across the table at breakfast and say, this is going to make sense, I'm doing everything to maximize that guy's return. And they know that. So I'm taking the percentage, but everything's on the back end. I don't get paid. I'm not getting paid to answer calls. I'm not getting paid to collect money. I'm not getting a percentage on the money in a raise. It's all on the back end. If we succeed, I succeed. But the we has to happen first. So the tenants have to have a great place to live. It has to be rent stabilized. It has to be paying all its bills and making cash, free cash from operation. All of those conditions have to be there before I get it done. So this building is beautiful, functional, stable, safe, and profitable before I get paid. Now that's hard for people to do it. You either have to have another job, be independently wealthy, or live on air. And 
Yeah, <laughs> I, I was going to say that exact same thing. I'm like, that's going to be tough for people to to set it up like that because, yeah, you got to live off of something. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, and it, it's hard to do that because I, I did a lot of stuff where I was doing projects where the big money came later on, mm-hmm. where we do all these perfect burrs and I the money, you know, I get some cash flow, but literally I'm just collecting properties, right? That I'm just getting a lot more properties. The cash flow go, keeps going up, but they don't get the chunks of money, right? Like you yeah. don't, and it, that's really hard to live off of. And yeah. that's a really good point you made because when you're choosing like a syndicator to give money to, um, the fee structures, it, you, you got to look at them because some of them, they like, I got my book right here. I was just reading, but um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they, uh, the fee structure, some of them take like huge acquisition fees, huge everything all the way through. They take huge property, ma- like management fees to watch the property manager. They're making a full uh, income off this yeah. property uh, from doing this. And some of them are getting paid at the back end after you get paid. So it's something to look at. <laughs> yeah. You're writing checks to everybody. Like for me, I'm writing checks to everybody except for myself until the end. And I don't resent that because I got another business also just prior to the first one I started. That pays me a reasonable wage and I have relatively low um, monthly living expenses. I'm a careful guy. Um, there's no extraordinary, there's no boats in the yard except for boat sellers. I, I always think about alignment, right? And alignment of interest whenever I'm hiring property, alignment of everything. Whenever you're getting all paid on the back end, do you think in the back of your mind it might uh, it might be give you more incentive to roll the property or sell the property rather than just to keep it forever? Yeah, because you don't get paid to sell. You also don't get, you know, a giant CRA hit. Um, and yeah, yeah, it's been t- a little bit, yeah, I'm a bit, I'm a bit perverse, I think, because <laughs> I love the, my goal was get more buildings, not to get rich. And I want to see what I could do. I want to find out, hmm, could I fix that? What could I do with that building? It's really ugly. Could I soften the facade? Could I? So I had a lot of aesthetic values in addition to, to you know, make make a great return for my partners and make it safe and cool. But there's social things I'm thinking of. And how can I change the streetscape here? And what can I do with this building? Is this interesting to me? Is it, there's a potential for something amazing here that would really juice my creative stuff. So some of that goes into it. And I don't mind not getting paid until I get to fix this and make it look really attractive and interesting. Um, and if you do enough of them, there's enough, you know, things being refinanced and you're getting your percentage. That you put it in the bank and you move your capital to lifestyle. So you supplement out of your savings. You go, well, we're taking the family to Mexico. Um, yeah. You know, I need a break. I want to spend some time with my kids. We're going to move money out of our savings account and put it to lifestyle and spend it on a Mexican resort for 10 days. So you're doing that kind of stuff. And it's a very kind of personal choice. Um, you know, I always tell my wife, our future is totally secure. We're good. And she's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. What about the now? How are we going to enjoy the now? Because Karen's really, um, she's a, a sensual person, loves meals, food, travel, family, friends. She's not really a structural person who dreams of the future of, you know, a portfolio of buildings to look at to give her comfort in her age. For me, I would sit in a chair and go, Ah, yes, Maple Glen Apartments. I love what I did there. Oh, Royal Windsor Suites. You know, that that that'd be delicious for me as long as I have you know a glass of wine or a beer and sit in a decent chair I'm totally happy she's like um I'd like to go for dinner and there's this theater that has a new play on 
Can we do that? Uh, <laughs> um, if we'll go and I will come back to you. But um, so we're really different. So it's again it's those tensions and moving between savings, lifestyle, uh, moving between you know the, the far off and the equity and the cash flow in the short term, and you're constantly kind of shifting between them. And that's, I suppose, a, there's no perfect for that. You just kind of work it out. Um, yep. I could have done it better had I known what I know now. I might have done it a little bit different, a little bit better. Um, syndication is really tricky. You really expose yourself, and you have to show your knee with your hand. You're not holding your cards to your chest, I don't think. You're showing Everybody. everything. This is what I need out of the deal. I need to pay my bills, or I need equity, or I need your support, your money your goodwill your need your need things and syndication really shows that you have to show your hand say i need this i need this from you uh, lots of people don't want to do that you know you can be poor and proud and you'll be alone in a room or you can open yourself up to people and say i need this i can offer this i need your money and your goodwill and i can offer you my unbound enthusiasm creativity and unrelenting work and I'll turn this building around. It'll be at my sole focus, and I'll offer that to you for money. To do it for free would be kind of stupid, but maybe you need that too. Maybe you need approval. Maybe you need someone to love you. That gets a bit weird, isn't it, Glenn? We should just change tracks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, last question. Yes. So you said, I've like, it's just in our conversation, it came out, you're investing in Alberta, you're investing yeah. in Ontario. Um, I think you had some in BC too. BC um, and Saskatchewan. Saskatchewan too. Um, yeah. What are the differences between provinces? Because I think a lot of people listening to my show are going to be like, how do I apply this to the US? But maybe we can just find differences from provinces and people can extrapolate out further. Yeah, okay. Um, so on, for me, I'm living in, in just outside of Vancouver. I'm living in the Fraser Valley. So we're going to uh, acreage out in the valley. Um, some of the initial differences, the big ones are in the, if you're dealing with tenants, um, some are regimes would be termed pro-tenant and some are pro-landlord. Alberta, you might expect, might look a little bit like Texas, might look a little bit pro-business, um, well ahead of every other regime. Um, they are, um, we're using online uh, tenancy tools. BC and Alberta led this. Um, uh, uh, the in BC tenant landlord disputes are handled under the ombudsman's office. They are not in the courts, okay? which is in, which is material. It's important because now you don't have to be represented by a lawyer or a paralegal. Nobody is. You're just an adjudicator, which is a $28 an hour BC employee. You get a phone, a phone conference. Your documents are submitted by facsimile. It's that old. They've been doing it for 25 years. Submit your documents by facsimile or by a PDF. Uh, adjudicator looks at it, reads them over, gets you both on the line, and settles it right there. You get a letter in three days. It's quick, fast, cheap, and efficient. Is that a COVID thing, or they always did it on? No, they've been doing this for more than 25 years. Okay. It's uh, Ontario. It's old-fashioned courts. You got a melee of people and paralegal and representatives and sweating people in coats sitting in a room getting resorted by priority. It takes all day, and you're represented by paralegals and lawyers. It's brutally expensive and it is pro tenant. They keep rewriting, even with Doug Ford, it's pro tenant. Yeah. Um, Alberta would be sort of pro landlord. 
um, and it's an easier regime. Uh, you can, you know, there's no limits on uh, rent increases. It's whatever the market will bear. So when a rent turns out, one year rent is provided you suitable notice at the termination of that lease, you can put the whatever market rents are. If you go from 700 to $1,000 over one month to other, as long as you give the proper notification. In BC, uh, Saskatchewan and Ontario, they protect rents. So if you have an existing rent, they're all deemed to convert to month to month. And they prescribe to that tenant and that deal an increase based on you know, their calculation that year of uh, what's allowable. Um, in Manitoba, the increase is attached to the address. So even if the tenant changes, you can only increase that address. Oh, that's that's even the worst. The <laughs> so worst. Notably, we have nothing in Manitoba. There's deals of plenty in Manitoba, but why would you? You cannot improve your building. Why would you fix a building where you can only get a 1% return or 1.2% return calculated in some dusty office in the basement of some parliament building? No. So I'm sorry, Manitoba is a beautiful, uh, beautiful province. I'm just going to fly right over. So um, we like uh, we like towns that have uh, broad, diverse uh, populations with universities, airports. So you know you can get a deal on Lethbridge, but or uh, um, Williams Lake or other places. Maybe it works. I just you know for my time, I need to go to places where I can fly there and fly out, or I can get a cheap rental car, a cheap hotel. Um, where I can have, yep. where there's weak competition. Yep. You know, you don't want to go into a town where you're the weakest, uh, where there's, you know, really strong, solid, amazing property managers. Thankfully, there's not. There's not anywhere. So we can be better than all of them, as we aim to be, so we can compete better. Um, so yeah, landlord uh, laws and stuff. And then is there differences in, in any of the inspections or anything that's done? Or is that like a national um, sort of Yeah. It's, it's just a great, you know, being in Canada, you're well protected with uh, amazing services. Almost every uh, municipality has inspections departments. Um, they're staffed by people that are capable, and we've never had a really hard time with that. It's not unreasonable that if people phone in, someone will come and inspect with a complaint, that someone will follow up with an inspection. Uh, I don't have adequate heat. Um, my windows are leaky. Uh, these kinds of, you'll get them. We usually like to deal with them by ourselves, but every now and then there's a conflict and the person feels they don't get listened to and they'll phone an inspection department. We've never been treated poorly in any of those regimes. Uh, city inspectors are just fine. City fire inspectors, they really just want to save you life. It can be kind of expensive. They like updated fire plans. Ontario is a little bit more litigious. You have a physical fire safety plan that you have to run by the chief. He has to have a copy or she has to have a copy. It has to be in a box in the front of your building. You have to keep it up to date every month. My, my on site, so putting a new rent roll in there. So if there's a fire, you can pull the rent roll, go through it suite by suite, and make sure they find the people or have a reasonable, like their car's not here, they're not there, and their cat's here. And, and pets are on that list too. Who is a pet? Because people do unreasonable things for pets. They'll run back into the burning building for a cat. Of course they would. That's a good thing to do. No, it's not. Don't do that. But don't let my kids know. Of course I do that, girls. Of course I go save Penny. Um, but we will have pets on there too. We want to know. Uh, so in Ontario, they're a little bit more litigious that way. Alberta's a little, you might imagine, a little bit looser. Um, but it's not, it's not a big difference. Um, dealing with municipalities is about the same. It's a professional class of bureaucrat. And it's in Canada, 
It's not like you're dealing with the Politburo in Moscow. These are reasonable people who just want to keep people safe and go home at five and watch the Leafs lose. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, as I say that, I'm a Canucks fan. And they are not that great this year. Darcy, if people wanted to get a hold of you, how do they track you down? Oh, that's a challenge. Um, we're at, uh, let's see, Darcy at ypl.ca. That's Eidenberg Properties Limited. That's my primary email where everything goes to. Yep. We're at Rent West, Triple W Rent West. That's our prairies thing. Yeah. And we're selling roworion.ca. That's R H O hyphen O R I O N.ca. That's Windsor and yep. Ontario. There's some of our work up there. Um, I don't have a personal website. That's one of my goals for this year because yeah. uh, I need a funnel to talk to people because I do want to tell them. I do want one of my other goals is to, you know, mentor people in this, encourage them to do it because it made a change, a difference in my life. You know, I loved every job I've had. I'm crazy passionate about doing this. I love what I do. I know, I think I make a difference. I think we do good work. We change streets, we buy shitty buildings. Can we say that on your podcast? Yeah. Okay, it's a swearing podcast. All right. Um, <laughs> we buy shitty buildings and we fix them, make them safe first. We, we treat our tenants with respect. Um, that's at the core of what we do. We make them attractive and safe and habitable and profitable for our partners. Um, and it's good work. I'm, I'm honored to do it. I'm proud of what we do. So I'd love to have more Canadians doing that and seeing the benefits of it, feeling great, self-esteem, learning their skills, and eventually wealthier Canadians. <laughs> Someone's got to pay for my retirement. <laughs> you mentioned the, like mentoring, like basically right after this call, we, me and Darcy are going to sit down Mar Darcy, like, cause I, I've read a lot of books and I'm, I'm very good at reading and learning and, but you know what? I want to get into some of these bigger apartment buildings and you know how you do it. You work with somebody who knows who's already done it. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> so for Darcy, me, I have to acknowledge it's Klaus Richter of Northwest properties. He's my father-in-law's first partner and he's became my partner. He inherited him and he said, I know nothing close, but I know how to work and I'm honest. He said, that's all I need. Yep. So I, I'm like looking at some properties right now and I get Darcy to look them over. I'll get some local brokers to look them over, get, give me the local cap rates. And between the, the team and my existing team, I think we can, uh, my goal is this year is to buy some apartment buildings. Yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. Mind you, I want to buy three more. We're looking at uh, 60 to 80 suites this year Nice. in COVID plus one. <laughs> let's, not, let's not talk about COVID plus it's two. Not, yeah, let's, no, 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 no swearing. No swearing on this show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, right. that's a forbidden word. <laughs> well, thanks for coming on the show, Darcy. Oh, really that's my pleasure. It. Yeah, you do great work.